Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Hey guys, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We're happy to be back in the studio today with you guys. It's been a little bit since we recorded last time, so we're fresh and ready to go. So as we're getting ready to step into our episode today, I want to take a minute just to talk to you guys about um, someone who's been a huge supporter in us building this podcast, building our business outside of this. You've probably heard us talk about her on some of our other episodes, but I'm sure you've noticed Melissa and I have been mentioning trainings and retreats. And over the last several months, we just kind of hit the ground running with our business. And that's been a great thanks to Catherine Keller. She's helped us in so many ways of just kind of getting organized and figuring out our marketing strategies and our website and just putting all of it together and really holding us accountable to reaching our goals as we set them. So in our work with her, um, I don't know, Melissa, if you, you want to share anything about what... Yeah, I think, you know, the big thing that felt like a, a major shift was having somebody ask me the questions that I didn't even need, know needed to be asked yeah. before we really started on this grand adventure that we're on. Um, you know, it's really easy when we're the clinician to kind of be head down and with our clients and doing the work that we do, but to have somebody that really has the expertise to ask us, you know, questions such as you know, what, what is your ideal client? And beyond just seeing clients on a day-to-day basis, what, what does your ideal day look like? Just all kinds of things that I couldn't have even um, imagined needed to be asked, but it was really those conversations with her and just her guidance that helped us uh, create a vision that has really kind of come to fruition way faster than I ever thought possible. In fact, I still kind of am reeling from how fast that's happened. Um, but I think that that is in due to, due to having so much guidance on how to do that well and how to think through the details ahead of time. Um, so yeah, today's episode is brought to you by Catherine Keller, who has been a guide to us in (laughs) all things, uh, related to marketing and uh, some business management skills that we didn't have because the bar was pretty low, frankly, as it is for a lot of therapists. Um, but yeah, so we, we definitely want to encourage you guys, if you're looking to expand and grow and get some help in that area, to reach out to Catherine. Yeah, and she is offering a free consultation for anyone who hears about her on this podcast. She normally charges for that initial consultation because even in that first discussion, she's already providing resources and feedback and ideas. So it's not um, it's not just a little consultation. It's a very informational and supportive and helpful. So if you're interested in getting a free consultation from her, um, reach out to Catherine at katherinekeller.net backslash EMDR. And that's K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-K-E-L-L-E-R dot net backslash EMDR. Okay, so today's episode, we are focusing on the RTEP protocol. Um, If you guys are not familiar with this, this is the protocol that is specifically for recent traumatic episodes. Um, and it is in some ways very similar to the basic protocol, but it's also very different. Um, there's a lot of populations where this is incredibly useful, and we really think that it's a tool that everybody needs uh, in their arsenal 
and to feel pretty comfortable with. Um, and we actually have a document that we're going to be working from today and we're going to make that available to you guys. It's, uh, from Shapiro. Um, and that way you guys can reference that, keep it on hand so that when you need it, you have a really handy guide, but we're going to talk through the details of that today as well. Yeah, this document we're going to speak from is, you can find it at emdrresearchfoundation.org, and it's part of their toolkit. I think they have a lot of different resources available, but like Melissa said, we'll directly tie this link into the show notes so it'll be easy to access. It walks through everything. It has a glossary for key terms and the specific protocol worksheets that you can use, covers everything. But we thought we would just take time to kind of verbally go through it because sometimes opening up, you know, a long document like this can feel overwhelming without having someone give some examples and explain it as you go throughout. Mm. But this, um, the RTEP protocol is really to be used with early, for early EMDR intervention. So it's in those cases where it's a recent event. Um, We want to step in and we want to intervene early before their brains have kind of stored that experience in a traumatic maladaptive way. So we're trying to get in there and help with the way it's stored rather than we're not going back in to change the way that it's stored as we do with our other more standard protocol. Mm -hmm. So recent event, that's a very arbitrary Mm -hmm. (laughs) term. What is recent? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who determines the time length on that? What do you use to kind of determine your clients if it's recent or not? Yeah. So, you know, I'm about to quote somebody and I don't even know who I'm quoting. I do that a lot. But one of the things that I think is a useful definition of recent is to think of it from the brain's perspective. And recent can be anything from it happened earlier today and now I'm seeing somebody for a crisis intervention immediately after the fact, or it can be that it happened last year or two years ago. And the difference there is that if there has never been a span of time where there was a break from the trauma to allow for the nervous system to integrate, then from the body and brain's perspective, it is still recent right? It is still being held in working memory and short-term memory to some degree because there's been no span of time to really allow that integration to happen. So I find that to be a little bit more useful than how long ago was it is, has this actually been integrated, right? Mm -hmm. And if it hasn't, then it may still be appropriate to use RTEP, even if it was last year. Um, So if there's been ongoing trauma consistently since the event, um, that is usually how I determine whether it might be worth a try. And then certainly if it was in the last three months, Mm -hmm. I would be looking at RTEP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it says that it requires on average or approximately two to four sessions. I have a little bit of hesitancy in throwing that number out there, just like there's, you know, kind of the reputation that EMDR in general can take approximately six sessions. Mm -hmm. There's so much variability to that number. And it's really looking at, are you strictly using RTEP? And um, that maybe could be fit into that two to four sessions. And is it that single incident trauma? But in using this, we often see that it connects to other trauma. Um, It may bring in other things that we'd like to say, okay, we'll contain that and stay focused, but we're recognizing it's creating a block. They're unable to process the the recent experience because of older trauma interfering. And so then that would add additional, you know, sessions that we'd have to work on that. Do they need more resources? Do they need more containment? 
um, tools like that to be able to regulate and manage and survive those two to four sessions. Mm -hmm. So it it could be longer than that. Um, That's just kind of a general guide of what it would approximately require. Mm And some populations that if you if you work with these populations, then you definitely want to know how to use RTEP and feel confident with it. If you do any um, natural disaster relief or uh, major community trauma uh, shootings, um, you know things like that, it is definitely going to be appropriate if you work closely with a fire department, a police department, anything like that, mm-hmm. then RTEP is going to be incredibly important. If you do short-term intervention, you don't get you know several sessions in a row, but maybe you get two to five. Um, in those kind of situations, RTEP is going to be particularly important for people that have had recent assault. If you work in a like an ER environment, a, um, a crisis environment like that, the other thing is if you are dealing with people that are in an ongoing legal situation, um, those kind of situations, RTEP can be really, really useful and important. Yeah, and one of the first pieces of the protocol is to look at um, history taking. So mm-hmm. phase one is that in t- intake. It's a brief history taking. We're not doing an exhaustive, full, in-depth history. But in that, we're getting just enough information to determine, are they ready? Is this an appropriate approach? And so some things that you might want to look for in that are if they have an extensive history of trauma that's similar to the recent event, this may not be the first initial approach that we'll use. Mm -hmm. So as you guys know, in working with traumatized clients, it's fairly common that um, the trauma is recreated frequently um, in certain cases, like in complex trauma scenarios. Sometimes it's now I'm in an abusive relationship and that trauma from my childhood and my adolescence and my young adult is continuing to be recreated as an adult. And so those would be some cases where we may have to really determine is this appropriate? Is this the best approach? And could we really fit it into a two to four session um, work with them? Or do we need to look at more resourcing and stabilization and things like that? So anyways, phase one is the history taking intake, brief history taking. Phase two, we're moving into preparation. And I think Melissa and I both really agree that oftentimes preparation and standard protocol comes first, Mm -hmm. um, that we want them to be well-prepared. That's kind of an adaptation to standard protocol that we use. In this case, we really do need that history first. If you only have limited sessions with them, we're doing crisis intervention, we may not have, you know, a few sessions up front to do that preparation. So since the history taking is so brief and we're not going in depth on their experiences, for myself, I won't speak for you, Melissa, I feel more comfortable with history taking coming first Mm -hmm. in this setup. Mm -hmm. The next thing that we're looking at is, well, I guess let me back up. With preparation, some of the main focus points are containment because that's going to be really necessary that they have a tool and a way to contain this as they leave that session and go back into their day-to-day life there, just as our other clients, but it's very important with this recent event situation. And then attention to safety. So exploring, is the client still in their trauma? If it's something that just happened, is the trauma continuing? 
Are they facing the intense aftermath of the trauma that are potentially new traumatic experiences? So that legal piece that Melissa mentioned earlier. Ongoing trials, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those are going to be important pieces to focus on establishing a sense of safety um, and just kind of uh, a management of those symptoms, uh, some resources and tools to help them to manage those as we're doing this and trying to get to more relief with this approach. Mm-hmm. Um, just a thought about the history taking phase. One of the things that um, is usually true in an RTEP situation, a lot of the times the history taking, the, the thing that we're going to be working on is already known. Right. Like the whole reason why we are in that situation is because there has been this, you know, either community crisis or this known uh, traumatic event. So when we're coming in to do the history taking, it's not so much that we're asking, hey, what are we going to work on today? It's more that we're asking for more information about the known thing. Mm -hmm. You know, where where were they? How was this impacting uh, to them personally? How were they involved in it personally? Um, And a lot of times you might find yourself uh, doing RTEP on multiple different people for the same traumatic events. So the history taking is really more about understanding what their personal experience of it was versus trying to figure out what you're going to work on because a lot of times you already know when you're walking in. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. And if there's other experiences that um, directly connect with that experience mm-hmm. for them. So really clear um, earlier life experiences that would fall in that same network. And if if they're able to, us kind of assessing, are they able to separate those, contain the past, mm-hmm. and really focus in on targeting this recent event that comes up. Mm-hmm. With RTEP, we're looking at points of disturbance. So we're really trying to identify in this experience, what are the points of disturbance? When it's a recent event, um, since our brain hasn't really had time to identify the way in which we're going to store it, it's not, there's usually not just um, one image or one part of it that kind of represents the whole thing. It's more broken down into, well, first this happened and that was very disturbing. And then this came and then there's the aftermath and these next things happen the very next day. And then the week after. So it's broken into like almost multiple targets within that same experience. So we're working with the client to identify what are each of those points of disturbance and those become what we process. Mm-hmm. So we have them do what we call a traumatic episode narrative, and they're giving the narrative of what happened. They're telling the entire story from, you know, the moment they woke up that day until the moment they walked into your office that day. So even if this was two months ago, there may be points of disturbance that have happened as, as, you know, recent as the day before. Maybe Mm -hmm. they just had to go to court and testify on something. Um, And so we're looking for all of those points of disturbance in that span of time. And as they tell that narrative, we turn on a continuous bilateral. This is something very unique and different to standard protocol. There really isn't a point in that where we do that in standard protocol at all and just have bilateral going. Mm -hmm. So find a, you know, eye movements don't really work well for this in my experience. Like that's too exhausting. Um, so if you can do tactile, if you've got the buzzers, um, even a, a slow tapping that you might do, but we're not going to use really rapid sets of bilateral, maybe a more moderate, um, but we want continuous bilateral stimulation happening for them while they tell this story. 
Um, and so that's where we get the entire narrative. And then we ask them to do a Google search. And that's something that... Not a literal Google search. <laughs> right. No. Their own Google search on their experience. They've, um, our tips kind of coined that as a way to identify what those points of disturbances are. Mm-hmm. So they go through that entire narrative in their mind and they let you know from beginning to end each point of disturbance that comes up um, from that from the time it started until that time today. And so you basically just write down this list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always encourage at this point my clients to just give as brief of a title of that as possible. So they don't necessarily in that moment go into like all of the details of what happened at that point of disturbance and what they were feeling and how it showed up in their body. Like we're just giving a title to it. So I have a reference guide. So we get this list of each of each point of disturbance And then they go on to assess that. So if you notice overall, we're following a somewhat similar standard protocol idea where we're identifying a target. We're going to assess that target. We're going to desensitize. We're going to install. So we're following that same general concept, but we're doing it at each point of disturbance Mm -hmm. within that recent event. So it basically just gives us a list of targets. We go in and we assess assess the first point of disturbance that's identified in that Google search that they do. And then we focus on the desensitization of that first point of disturbance. I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I'm moving through too fast or if you have anything you want to add. Yeah, so no, far. I, I think that one of the things when I was, you know, first trying to kind of get my brain around RTAP, one of the important distinctions that I think is worth highlighting is normally when we're talking about targets, we're talking about several different memories. In this situation, our targets are multiple points of the same event. Um, So this might feel a little bit messy and confusing in your brain as you're trying to, you know, file it away and understand it. But basically, when you're thinking about RTEP, um, a point of disturbance is our target, but we're working with that one event, but that one event may span over a, a longer amount of time. Um, And that is exactly why we do this protocol a little bit different, because when something is recent, the way that it is stored in the brain is different than when it has been filed away. So our vernacular there is, you know, we're using the same words, but we mean something pretty different. That point of disturbance, just as some examples to kind of help you guys have hooks to hang it on. Um, uh, A a woman that I did a lot of RTEP with um, was on a a kidnapping that was about a year and a half previous to the work that we did. Um, But because of the nature of it and the ongoing legal situation, um, it still felt very recent. So her, her points of disturbance, without a lot of detail, were things like the moment that the gun was pulled, um, getting into the person's car, getting out of the car, Um, getting to the house and where she had to sit. So it was all of these small moments. um, And by the end of it, something that lasted about, you know, 12 hours of her life, I think we had about 15 points of disturbance that we worked Mm -hmm. through. Um, And so that becomes our treatment plan in the same way that in a normal history taking you would have several different memories that span many years. In this situation, you have several different points of disturbance that may span a few hours, a few days, a few weeks. So it's more about shrinking down the timeline when we're considering the big picture of what we're doing with the client. Yeah. 
I kind of picture like we're taking this event and we're zooming in mm-hmm. and getting a really like up close view of it. Yeah. And then we're going to target the different parts and then we'll get to this. But at the end, we zoom back out and we target the thing as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I had a client describe this as like um, a movie montage of the worst moments of her life. Oh, gosh. <laughs> like the worst movie ever. I know, I know but it's it's pretty accurate you know it's it's you're not going through every single moment you're hitting the highlights mm-hmm. um you know the the distressing highlights um but it and that can be a good way to describe it to the client like this is a montage of all those moments that really still stand out to you that you still feel it in your body that you have flashbacks to and when you're asking them to do that google search that's what's naturally going to come up so that's what we list as those points of disturbance So once we have that full list of each point, we go in and we assess the first one. We do um, desensitization on that first point of disturbance. In this, we want to be using a a mix between EMD and EMD little r. We're not actually going to use EMD big r. Now, those words, I was going to say, if those all sound like, what is she talking about? Uh This, these concepts. this might just be a great episode for us to do. We should just point. do a whole different episode on EMD and EMD little r. Yes. Uh-huh. But if you've been more recently trained, you've probably seen this in your training. I would say it's been something that's more recently been added in as kind of a brief overview, but you don't get a lot of it. If you were trained a while back, these concepts might feel more foreign. Um, EMD is just eye movement desensitization. There's not the reprocessing piece. So any like we're constantly keeping the focus on the original target so on Mm -hmm. this would be on that original point of disturbance and every time it veers off we bring them right back yeah so you come back to that you know original point of disturbance what what do you get now we don't let it associate anywhere past that point of disturbance emd little r is we let some of the reprocessing happen where we can let the associative memories come in only still within the the traumatic event as a whole. So Mm -hmm. it may go from the first point of disturbance and kind of start processing into later points of disturbance or other points. And we can let that happen, but we're going to kind of totter back and forth between those two. In this protocol, we don't do the full EMDR where we let it associate to anything in their life. Mm-hmm. If that starts happening, we redirect them back. We do the reboot question. As you bring up that original point of disturbance, what do you get now? Um, and we get them back on that same track. We don't want to be um, processing earlier life experiences or other trauma events that may be stored in the same network, which is why when we're assessing for if this is a good fit and we're helping with containment, we're doing all that up front. So if it does associate over into something else, we respond appropriately with containing that, acknowledging it, but then redirecting them back. We're just staying focused on the reset event. Mm-hmm. And just, just a thought about that, you guys, it's not that the associative work is not important and relevant. It's simply because if we were to try to tackle that much, it would be too much. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, we're using RTEP because we're we're trying to mitigate the impact um, of that recent event. And so we want to do that as quickly as possible. Um, it is really appropriate to have a conversation with the client and say, down the road, we may need to allow it to associate yeah. there and do that work. But we're not going to do that right now. And here's why. 
especially if this is a client that you have done other EMDR work with, you may need to do a little bit of education with them and say, hey, this is going to feel different. You're going to feel me bring you back um, to that original moment that we start with more often. And here's why. So that because they're going to feel that, okay, we don't allow those associations as much. So preparing them for that um, and kind of reminding yourself like, okay, here's why we're doing that. Here's why, um, you know, this is the the right way to do it in this situation, I think can be really useful. Absolutely. And we can record what those other associative mm-hmm. memories are as future targets. Yes. So we may be doing RTEP with them right now, but we have the opportunity to continue working with them and address those targets later. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can record those, really acknowledge and validate how significant they are. But also I think you're right, preparing them for that would be an important piece so that they're not caught off guard mm-hmm. as we shut it down. Mm-hmm. So as we're desensitizing, we're using these two approaches um, in that desensitization phase. Once we get the SUD the subjective units of disturbance down um, to what is ecologically sound. I think in this protocol, that's especially significant. Yeah. With standard protocol, I will, you know, definitely not get hung up on a a set of a one or a two, Mm -hmm. but I'm always quick to say like, what is holding it there? And Mm -hmm. at least targeting what that other piece might be, because a lot can open up. I do get hung up on zeros. I really like zeros. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I have, it's a personal thing. I'm, yeah, I like to be thorough. It makes me feel confident and sure. But yeah, in this situation, that that idea of leaving something at a one or a two is really really appropriate. Yeah. Um, and the main reason for that is because we're not allowing the association, right? right? So we can't expect a fully clear channel, um, which is required to get to that zero. Now, sometimes they will get to a zero and, yeah. and don't be surprised if they do, but it is really normal with our tap that you've got a lot of points of disturbance that go from a seven, eight, nine down to a one or a two. And that is so significant of a change that a lot of the time it's enough to keep them out of um, a PTSD reaction to whatever that event is. Um, so yeah, that's it's really appropriate in this protocol. And often we're using this so early on once mm-hmm. the trauma happens that they don't yet know that it's everything's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's still a know, really good point. in a scenario where I use this with a, a woman who was assaulted, um, really horrifically assaulted physically and sexually. By the time we were using this, he had not been put in prison yet. Mm-hmm. And if she didn't know, could he come back? There was mm-hmm. there were so many components to it that she had still trials she had to testify in. There was a lot left that was still to come. So a zero is just completely There's out no of way. reach. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. no way. And she we don't want to get zero. into a power struggle about that. Yeah. Or have them give us a false zero mm-hmm. just to satisfy us. Mm-hmm. So that ecologically sound um, is kind of an important piece there. But once we get the SUD score down, then we continue in with the installation. We're not doing a body scan at this point. So we won't bring in the body scan until we have cleared all points of disturbance. And then we, where I said you zoom back out and kind of go into the target as a whole, that's when we do the body scan at the very end of that. So we hold off on the body scan from the standard protocol that's saved for later. We basically go back and repeat all of those steps from the t- from you know identifying the next point of disturbance, assessing it, 
desensitizing it, we just continuously repeat those steps with each point of disturbance until we've cleared out all of them, until they, they don't have any other identified points of disturbance in that target. Um, and that's, you know, could take two to four sessions. It could take six sessions. It could take eight. It just varies so significantly. But we want to make sure we clear out each of those. Of course, just like any session, we want a strong closure at the end of every session. I have not done this where I've completed all points of disturbance in one session. Mm -hmm. Um, I was trying to think of a scenario where maybe that happened. I've always, it's always required at least two to three and then usually more than that. And so closure in between each of those is really important. It is for all clients, but something where it's recently happening, there's things that could potentially be regularly triggering it. Let's say a natural disaster and we're, you know, targeting a tornado every single time they leave your office, it is in their face Mm -hmm. as they look around at everything around them and they go home to, you know, deal with insurance and look for belongings and all of these things. So closure is really important, closure and resources and making sure they have that as they continue, you know, in between sessions. So that's just kind of a reminder on that piece. Once we get through all points of disturbance, now we're going to do the episode as a whole. And this follows more of that standard protocol. So we're going to check the SUD level on the episode as a whole, not on, you know, the, the broken down pieces, but on that um, zoomed out view, mm-hmm. check the, check the SUD level and continue. If there is a, a disturbance, desensitize that. So have them pull that up and notice that and begin bilateral as they desensitize that. Then we want to do the installation um, with the positive cognition. So we're basically running through standard protocol here. We're going to do the body scan. Once that's clear, we're going to do closure of the episode as a whole. And then as always following back up and just seeing um, the follow-up with these clients is looking at, has anything new come up from, from what we've already targeted? And then what is new that's coming up as the trauma continues to play out as that episode continues to play out? If there's maybe new trauma as the client I mentioned before, we had to do a follow-up session once she testified and saw his face for the first time, and mm-hmm. he denied that it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a new target that we had to work through. And then once he was sentenced, we did another target. So there's just you know different part points of disturbance that may pop up later. That's a mouth, mouthful. That's a lot of information for you guys. It's important, though. But this link that I'm going to put in the show notes has graphics, which I love, mm-hmm. charts, um, flowcharts, arrows, boxes. It makes it visual. It helps. Yes. Yeah. So hopefully that can break it down. There's also a nice comparison table for looking at comparing RTEP and standard protocol with each phase. So it breaks it down per phase and looking at this is what happens in standard protocol with history taking, and this is how it would be different history taking with RTEP. So if you guys are really interested in using this, I would encourage you to look at that just to kind of find your flow and rhythm with RTEP now that you have a flow and rhythm with standard protocol and how that kind of shifts over. So I think that's all we've got mm-hmm. on RTEP. Um Please, guys, feel free to email us with questions, um, comments, ideas, thoughts. We love to hear from you all. We've recently 
gotten some great social media feedback and just comments on things. And I just have to tell you, like, it makes my day to Mm -hmm. see you guys comment on there. So I love, love, love to hear from you. Please feel free to chime in, um, share your experiences as a therapist and learning EMDR and things that you're running into. We just love that interaction with you guys and would love to have more of it. Mm -hmm. So speaking of more interaction, Jen and I have a super fun announcement. This has been something that we've been kind of slowly working towards and trying to figure out all the details. But starting in May, we are starting a Patreon. If you guys are not familiar with what Patreon is, it's an online platform um, that allows people to support things that they love, like podcasts, um, and get bonus material and other uh, things for that. So we're going to have several different tiers. You guys can kind of choose what level of membership you're interested in. Um, With some of the lower tiers, we're going to have bonus episodes and content. And then as we move up, we're going to have things like priority question asking. Um, As questions keep coming in, we're going to compile all of those and do maybe a whole episode where we just answer a whole bunch of questions. And so our Patreon members will have... uh, priority question ask question asking privileges that's hard to say um and then as we move up we're also going to start doing a monthly invitation um for our vvip members um to have an hour-long consultation with either jen or i uh, where you can get you know specific feedback about your clients um and we're going to try to make that as cost effective as we can because you know consultation is um you know pretty expensive and we want to be able to provide that to you guys so doing it in a hipaa compliant group format uh online setting we think is the best way to do that so that's going to be another thing that we're able to make available um and as the patreon grows it's going to let us do a lot more with the podcast even you didn't hear it here but maybe we're starting another podcast just for clients i don't know it's just something we're toying with we'll see why not take them (laughs) i know right um so be watching for that and uh, it'll all come out on social media in may so be watching for those links and we'll be giving you more detail as we have it but we just wanted to let you guys know that's coming yeah and it won't it won't really change anything that we offer in general we Mm -hmm. just want it to be things that we add in yeah so be more yeah we get a lot of inquiries for more support and more resources and hopefully this will be a platform that we can offer that and just continue to provide more things for our listeners so Mm We just appreciate you guys so much and and you chiming in and listening to us ramble on week after week. So have a great week um, and we'll be back soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time. Mm-hmm.